0: Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back. You're listening to episode 212 of the Body Nerd Show. And on today's episode, I'm talking about the history of cadavers and anatomical studies, how cadavers help us learn about the human body beyond just medical training, and my own personal experience in the anatomy lab. So I took anatomy in college as part of my exercise biology degree, and it was very much by the book. We were tested on how much we remembered from lab and then lecture, and then it was just like on to the next week. And it honestly was one of the most intense classes and quarters that I had in college, not just because of the just amount of material you had to just straight memorize, but we had I can't even remember how much. There was a lot of time in lab. I think we were in lab like four, maybe five hours a week. And then like another couple hours in lecture. It was a very intense class. But this experience was already dissected for us, right? The cadavers were already in their parts. So when we were studying the wrist and elbow, you were looking at just a wrist or just a wrist and elbow. And while for some that might be ideal, I really wanted to learn how it all fit together. As a university student, you're just like, you got to get that grade, right? And you're really focused on the minutia of like, what do I need to know to pass the test versus the bigger picture of how this class is going to make sense in my life, my career. Like I was not thinking about that at 20. And I also had a goal after college when I started working in the more therapeutic yoga and movement space of teaching the integrated anatomy module for TuneUp Fitness Worldwide. So TuneUp Fitness Worldwide is a company that I worked with for many years and taught many of their trainings to yoga teachers and movement professionals all across the country. And the anatomy module was just like, it was made for me. I love that class so much. In order to teach that, you had to do another cadaver dissection, which was not a hard thing for me. I was like, oh my God, sign me up. Like, here we go. And I've shared bits and pieces about my anatomy lab experience on the podcast before, but I wanted to do an entire episode. So if you are A, interested in furthering your anatomy education, stay tuned. Uh, Or B, if you're just a body nerd and want to learn more about the body, like, Buckle up, let's go. (laughs) So, also in true body nerd show fashion, I made sure to really dive into cadavers instead of just like, of course, I could just tell you a story, but I wanted to learn something too. So, let's talk about cadavers. So, cadaver comes from the Latin word caudere, which means to fall, and it's a body donated usually to science for educational purposes. But, cadavers are not just used for education, like in my experience. Of course, we think medical school, physical therapy school, dental school, like any type of medical education, hopefully and usually they're using cadavers. We'll talk a little bit more about that too. Of course, into research, so forensics, there are a number of research programs across the country that use cadavers in different uh, states of dress or undress in the shade, not in the shade, on different materials and mediums and all of those things to then help um, forensic investigators have a better idea of when that person died. You know, wherever they find a body, if it has this type of bug and this type of degradation, then they can say, oh, well, it happened because of this, that, or the other. So the whole fascinating just area of study when it comes to cadavers. Also in the automobile industry for auto crashes and studying safety of vehicles and restraints and things like that. While dummies are great and very helpful, like I think we've all seen, you know, the commercials that they show, seeing what happens to soft tissues and hard tissues like bone and crash is also super, super invaluable. And if you are like, wait a minute, and you want to learn more about this, I read a book called Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers by Mary Roach, and I will link to it in the show notes over at awellness.comslash podcast. So this is just the blurb for this book. It says they've Tested France's first guillotines, ridden the NASA space shuttle, been crucified in a Parisian laboratory to test the authenticity of the Shroud of Turin, and help solve the mystery of TWA Flight 800. For every new surgical procedure, from heart transplants to gender confirmation surgery, cadavers have helped make history in their quiet way. So if you are interested and you're not like, I don't need to go into a lab, I just want to know more about cadavers, that book was awesome. And Mary Roach, as a science writer, is just a really, really fun read. And and I mean this in the nerdiest way possible. (laughs) So as far as cadavers in medical training, so obviously cadavers are really expensive to get. They are also very expensive to maintain, right? There's refrigeration, there's chemicals, there's the preparation of the bodies. It's not just like you roll a body into the room and then you're good to go. There are also, thankfully, legal guidelines that must be followed that protect both the donor and the you know institution where this dissection and cadaver use is happening. And because of the advances of technology, some medical schools are actually moving Moving away from using cadavers for training. And on one hand, I get it, right? It is supremely expensive and it also is not necessarily accessible in all areas of even the country and the world. So if the difference is you can have medical training, but it has to be via something like VR or augmented reality or just a computer or not have it at all, I definitely think that using technology for cadaver dissection is important. But as somebody who has had the opportunity to do it, you also miss out on getting to see and feel the whole thing. And of course, a surgeon is going to tell you, well, like a cadaver, especially one that's been embalmed and also a cadaver does not feel the same as live tissue. And like, yes, of course, but I feel like it gets you a little bit closer to the real thing compared to technology. And while you can do cadaver dissections in laboratories with a fixed cadaver, so that means that it's embalmed, you can also do it with an unfixed cadaver. So no embalming fluids whatsoever. With both cases, there's always a time limit because the body is breaking down, right? You are working as quickly as you can um, as the tissue is breaking down. And so it just depends you know, <laughs> like what you're going for. But honestly, it it depends on that. Now, I will also link in the show notes to Gil Headley, who is my anatomy mentor um, and who I did my dis- dissection with. And he offers both fixed and unfixed cadaver studies. I did the fixed, I think. I'm just like thinking about it right now. I'm like, I could do an unfixed. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that because it is, it's a, a like psychological and mental and emotional, like it's a big undertaking. And I, I don't know if unfixed is for me, but you know what? Who knows? I can always change my mind. But thinking of all of this makes me think of da Vinci's cadaver studies. So his cadaver in anatomical studies began in 1506 and he did a dissection of a hundred year old man whose peaceful death he had just witnessed. Now this is according to the internet, so I don't know the full context, but we'll just leave it at that. So his earlier dissections and drawings were of animals, so oxen, horses, a bear, birds, And many of his first human images were not actually correct. Anatomically, they were wrong. But he still had some ideas about the structures and functions and connections of the human body. The thing that we cannot forget about da Vinci's dissections is that nothing was preserved. There was no refrigeration. Embalming was not what it is today. So he had to move quickly. He probably worked by candlelight, not only for the heat, but also because of the stigma around cadaver studies. Even in medical schools in the early, I'm talking like early, early days, body snatchers, right? Literally digging people out of the ground, like that in some cases is where bodies were coming from for medical studies, like cadaver studies, even today, like it's not I mean, I don't know firsthand. I should have at a lab. I wouldn't imagine that it's really easy to get your hands on a body, but it wasn't that people were like, like thankfully no one's stealing people out of the ground anymore. Okay, well, that's just what I'm gonna say. <laughs> But still, that da Vinci was able to, like, we're still talking about it. I'm still talking about it from his studies by candlelight in the 1500s that also weren't even published when he finished them. It wasn't until later. But da Vinci wasn't actually the first. So there's a Greek physician, surgeon, and philosopher with Roman citizenship whose name was Aelis Glenis. And Galen influenced the development of various scientific disciplines, including anatomy, physiology, pathology, pharmacology, and neurology, as well as philosophy and logic. Like this guy was busy, busy, busy. And it wasn't until De Humani Corporis Fabrica Libris Septum, which is Latin for literally on the fabric of the human body in seven books, written by Andreas Vesalius in 1543, that we got the anatomy as we know it, right? So da Vinci was studying in 1506, but it wasn't until Vesalius published his book in 1543 that it really, I don't even want to say like hit the mainstream, but that's like the first recorded instance of it. Again, the 1500s. I'm just like, what? Amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So with that frame of reference of how long this has been happening, and also too, if this is of any interest to you, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you read Mary Roach's book, Stiff, because it is so fascinating. Let's talk about my experience in the anatomy lab. So like I mentioned in college, it was already done for us. You showed up, you were just trying to pass the test and it was very competitive because you're in a room full of people who are planning on going to medical school. Honestly, I was considering physical therapy school at the time. So I was a a little less cutthroat, but still you want to get good grades. And so after college, I was able to do the six day cadaver dissection with Gil pressure was just so much less right you could actually be there to learn and to experience and to just bear witness right to the human body and like i mentioned he's still doing them if you want to apply i'll link to it in the show notes and he has a really unique approach which is what i loved so much about it there are a handful of people that you can do cadaver dissections with outside of like a traditional educational program but from what I understand, some of them, they do the dissection for you, or it's very limited, but Gill's lab is very, very, very hands-on. And so our first day, we had four different forms or cadavers in the room, and there was about five or six of us to each body. And the first day, we went around and stood each of the forms up. And obviously, it's not super easy but just to like fully comprehend and fully take in that this is a person right that this person has donated their body to science and the gift of their body for our education and when you just see a body laying on a table or a gurney like you lose some of that so that was really I mean again like it was just like oh wow Wow, 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 right? To really, again, fully appreciate what this person or choice or decision they've made to then be here for my education. Each day in the lab, we also had an opening conversation and a closing conversation to kind of decompress and really metabolize everything that was happening because it's so weird to have cut into a human body And then to get on the train and ride home with a bunch of people who are commuting. And I'm like, you have no idea what I did today. (laughs) I just remember standing on the BART platform. I was up in uh, San Francisco. And I still, to this day, vividly remember the first cut I did, which was over the top of the shoulder, like right into like the upper traps. And I just like wanted to yell, like, do you know what I did today? Like I cut a body. Nobody cares. (laughs) But even to when we would go out for lunch, like obviously you wash your hands do all that stuff, but you have to go out and eat. And then you're like, all these people are walking by and they have no idea what I am doing. Like it was bananas. The number one question I get within the comments and my DMs and my emails is, I have this issue. What should I do for it? And I get when you've tried icing and you've tried stretching and they're not really working, you probably are looking for a simple program that you can do on your own that actually works. And that's exactly why I put together the Mobility Mastery Toolkit. The toolkit includes 30 days of exercises so you know exactly what to do to improve the mobility of your hips, your lower back, your feet, your neck, and your shoulders. Plus it comes with video demos for every single exercise and a full body mobility workout calendar so you can check it off. And again, you don't have to think about what to do, you just get it done. And with all of those resources, you're just 15 minutes a day from feeling stronger and more flexible. As a Body Nerd Show listener, you can save 50% off when you use the code MASTERY at mobilitytoolkit.co. That's right. Use the code MASTERY, M-A-S-T-E-R-Y at mobilitytoolkit.co. And then keep me posted how it goes. But the container that Gil creates that is so compassionate and understanding and just giving you space to feel all your feels was so, so, so invaluable because too, like you're standing over this body and we didn't initially have any of the health history and you don't often get the whole health history, like day three or four, we did get some information. But even then, the form I was working on, which I'll tell you more about in just a second, the cause of death on the health form that we got was ovarian cancer. And as you're standing over and working on this form, right, you don't actually need your ovaries to live. There are many people who have had total hysterectomies who do not have ovaries. And so to consider that ovarian cancer can be a cause of death is just like really a mind shift, right? I remember staying there and just being like, wow, there's like not – Physically, right? Physically, we have all the same parts. There's not really that much difference between my body and this body. And yet there's so much different between my body and this body. It was very, very existential. So the form I spent most of my time working on and actually having that health history did help tell a little bit of a story. The tissue in this body, all the way from the outer surface, all the way in had this almost like emerald green color to it and one of the things that Gil always says is like you know we don't know exactly who this person is or what happened to them we can only tell stories about what we think based on what we've seen and so when we did get the health history that this person had passed from ovarian cancer Gil then also shared that he has seen in other forms as well who have undergone uh, cancer treatment which typically is chemotherapy that the chemo drugs interact with the embalming fluids to make this green color and literally every tissue every tissue um, other than the bones and there was like one little spot on the liver had this emerald green color which was just again I was just like wow like you never it's, it's hard to consider the interconnected nature of our bodies until you see it right there in front of you the other thing about Gill's approach is it's a layered approach. So instead of just looking at the wrist or the elbow, we went layer by layer. So day one was the skin and removing the skin from the body was so challenging. The way your skin is connected to the superficial fascia, it is stuck on. <laughs> that connection is strong and it literally dulls your scalpel as you keep trying to peel it away. I just remember like new scalpel, new scalpel, new scalpel the whole time. So skin is a first day superficial fascia, which is the layer of connective tissue just beneath the skin where a lot of the adipose or fat cells are. So then we removed all of that, which actually was... It's such a cool, you're gonna hear me just. I'm telling you, I'm a nerd, we're going for it. It's such a cool layer because it has different characteristics depending on where it is in your body. So, the superficial fascia on your face does not feel the same as the superficial fascia on your arm, or the superficial fascia on your butt, or the superficial fascia on the bottoms of your feet, right? The bottoms of the feet are way more dense and fibrous because we stand, and the fascia on your face is definitely more fluffy and light. So it was cool to see within this, you know, in a textbook it would say superficial fascia. It is this, you know, a web-like structure and then to actually see how different it is depending on where it is in the body. And also I'm just thinking of sitting versus standing, right? The superficial fascia on your butt is not tough and fibrous like the superficial fascia on your feet because your feet were made for standing and your butt was made for propelling you forward, not sitting but we spend so much of our day sitting. So again, it just it's, it has you start thinking about, okay, well, how am I actually using and moving this body throughout my day based on what I have seen in its structure? So skin, day one, superficial fascia, then we go into deep fascia. So deep fascia includes the plantar fasciitis, the IT band, more of the connective tissue coverings of the muscles. Then we get into muscles, organs, and then bones. And while we're going through each day, if there is something that you want to see, You can go look for it. And because it was my first time in the lab, I honestly was just there for the experience, whatever it was going to be, like I was open to it. So some of the other people at my table were this, you know, their second, third, even fourth trips to the lab with Gil. So they were on a mission. So I ended up spending a lot of time actually dissecting on the face and specifically into the jaw and temple and seeing the way that your mass muscle. This is your primary chewing muscle, how it feeds right underneath the, basically the cheekbone and up into the temple, into the temporalis, which was so cool to see the way that muscle just like fans out. That's one that is very much like the anatomy books. And then I also spent a lot of time dissecting the bottoms of the feet. So when I tell you that this superficial fascia there is very tough and fibrous, it is from firsthand (laughs) experience. Oh my gosh. It was so tough. And I felt, I think I probably spent like a couple hours just trying to, you know, scrape and scrape and scrape away and still barely scratch the surface of the plantar fascia because it is just so deep in there. Which, you know, when you feel it in your body, it feels like it's right there on the surface and it's super, super sensitive and super tender when in reality, like, it's in there. It's got a lot of, of covering. So, again, like to stand next to a body thinking of the difference between me and that body and that there's not that much different and yet there is so much different. Now, while we are all working on our different areas and you can come and go as you need, of course, there's times where it's just, it is too much. It's overwhelming. You can step out into the hall. No big deal. And then Gil is kind of floating around and where there's an opportunity for a lecture or just talking a little bit more about a structure that comes up, he is able to share. So interesting things that we saw that I remember. One of the forms in the room had a much darker pigmentation to their skin. And on the day one, when you start to peel away the skin, that pigmentation that darker pigmentation literally is like a couple cells deep and once you get the skin off that form looked like everybody else which was also really just like to think how much hate and division and just straight up racism comes from something that isn't really that much of a difference right like literally we all are the same literally and it just was like whoa Also, there was a number of bodies where there would be things that you didn't expect to see, like joint replacements, those come along for the ride. One of the forms had this really fascinating, like liquid, almost like a cyst on their kidneys. That was like really, really, I mean, it was huge. But again, things that people just like exist and live with and it's like no big deal. Maybe they knew about it, maybe they didn't, just doesn't matter. Also, one of the forms in the room was when the health history came through. I believe they were in their 90s, which also like just visually, you're like, okay, yes, this person is visibly older. And they were, it's like as Gil does. There's like some commotion, and oh, what is that? And you go over and check it out. He was dissecting through the rib cage. And the group had already removed all the other tissue. So the rib cage was accessible. And then he was trying to get down into the lungs and he opens up the rib cage. And one lobe of the lung was literally in like a, like almost like a Ziploc bag. Now it wasn't exactly a ziplock bag, but it like basically was a ziplock bag. And we were just like. What? what? And even Gil was like, I have never seen this before. And when you kind of like backtracked, it seemed like there was, if I remember correctly, some scar tissue um, or definitely an incision from the rib cage all the way out to the skin. And again, we don't know the whole story. We can only weave a story based on what we're seeing but if there was literally that bag in their lung we told the story that perhaps that they had some sort of lung surgery and perhaps that was where they died and so they just left everything as it was because there was no need to remove it which was just again whoa (laughs) whoa The other thing I left the lab with was this amazing appreciation for nature and the patterns that exist because there is nothing in your body that doesn't also exist in nature in some capacity. Like any day I see, you know, those like really puffy clouds always make me think of uh, the lion king when all the hyenas are like marching. It's like a bunch of little hyenas in the sky. It looks like, Uh, but that's also what your superficial fascia looks like it looks exactly like that or your lungs and how your lungs and the texture of your lungs when you look super close looks like a tree with a ton of branches and a lot of leaves like everything is by design everything is intentional everything I almost want to say makes sense but it also makes no sense at all and is just awesome like literally brings awe and wonder And so the whole experience in those six days in the lab, I left with a little bit of a cough, I think, from all of the cadaver fluid or just breathing in embalming fluid. I was not drinking it. No, (laughs) but this amazing appreciation for how interconnected the body is. You know, you can move an ankle and see how that affects the tissues up in the knee or flexing at the neck and seeing how that changes the tension on the entire spinal cord. Like all of those interconnected relationships were absolutely amazing. Like you can't see that in a virtual reality situation, right? You can't accidentally stumble upon something like, Oh, I didn't see that before. Cause it just doesn't work that way. But I also left the lab feeling like whenever, and through my own personal experience and, you know, speaking with clients and working with clients, whenever someone comes up to me and says, you know, I did this and this and this, but this happened and it wasn't what I expected. I'm always just like, uh-huh. Yeah, of course. Our bodies are so complex and they are so simple. And I feel like we want to understand it all, but you can never understand it all because no two people, no two bodies, no two experiences, no two life journeys are the same. And that was really the biggest thing that I took away from my anatomy lab. Do I know where the biceps is? Yeah, of course. But how your biceps feel and where your biceps is is not the same thing. So I obviously could go on and on for probably another hour about my cadaver dissection. It really was a pivotal moment in my own personal education and growth and training and I honestly cannot wait until the next time I get back into the lab. I feel like it needs to happen soon just for my own curiosity. But if you have any questions about cadavers, about the lab that I did, or anything anatomical related, please feel free to reach out. You can send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Hala You can find me on TikTok at AE Wellness. Just reach out. Let me know. You can also, I would love to hear from you what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode. Or if you have a longer question that you want to leave in an audio form, you can do so on the Body Nerd hotline at 818-396-6501. And like I said, the show notes is going to have links to everything, free downloads, all of the things we talked about today, and that all lives over at aewellness.com podcast. If you too are a massive body nerd and now you are like, I'm in it to win it. This is the most fascinating and confusing and none of it makes sense. And all of it makes sense thing I've ever experienced. Let me know. Go leave a five-star review somewhere. Let me know what you thought. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any future episodes. And thank you for sharing today's episode with anyone who, like us, is a huge body nerd. So here's to asking better questions, moving more, saying yes to the scalpel, (laughs) and getting nerdy. And thank you for helping me spread the word that your body is super cool and you, my friend, can change the unchangeable. I'll talk to you next week. Pain stops you in your tracks and body work is one of the fastest and most effective ways to deal with it.